Hey everybody, welcome to Podcast 62. I talk quite a bit about my experience in the Secret World Beta. I talk a little bit about Magic the Gathering Duel of the Planeswalkers 2013. And I talk a little bit about how community and the game interact. Enjoy the show! So in the Secret World beta last weekend, I got to play maybe 16 to 18 hours total, of which about 12 was on one character. I have a lot of thoughts on it, and I don't really have any way to order them. Maybe if I'm going to keep reviewing stuff, I should think up some kind of order or something. So a lot of these points will just be kind of, you know, random and out there and take them for what they are individually. The first thing that is very noticeable is that it is an open world system and it's kind of really old school in that regard. And this is really kind of a bad thing because that means that whenever you're doing a quest goal in the open areas, other people can mess with those goals, either intentionally or unintentionally. Like one time I saw what appeared to be somebody running from a pack of zombies and so I I killed them and, you know, thought I rescued them. But instead there is actually a quest for them to take them to a certain area, you know, unharmed as it were. So things like that, you know, you have no idea if something like that's going on and you can, you know, unintentionally mess with people. One other time I was fighting on top of a quest item and somebody just came along and took it out from under me, literally. And it's like, you know, what the crap? Did you not see me fighting here? Maybe I needed that item. So it's really kind of disappointing that that system that's been in place for so many years and not worked really well has remained unchanged. Loot is handled kind of oddly. I guess it's sort of, you know, old school and standard in style. But it seems a little out of place and it's very easy to miss that you have loots. Targeting things to click on them can be tricky because they can sometimes be very small, like a cell phone. And that's like, you know, just a few pixels big on your screen. It has a glow, but if you're standing so that, you know, your character is between the item and your view, you'd never see it because you easily block it. So it's very easy to miss sort of, you know, smaller targets. In character creation, they want you to make three names, a first name, a last name, and then a nickname. Yet only the nickname will appear to other people unless they specifically click on you. It's like if only that one name appears in chat, if only that one name appears in the group windows, why do I have to pick a different one for each of my characters? Why isn't this some kind of account-wide name that's shared over all my characters? So that seemed really dumb and kind of a pain in the butt for a game that is, you know, supposedly priding itself on, you know, players having easy interaction with each other. Chat colors couldn't be changed as far as I could tell. Nearly everything that it reports to you is in white. Tells and party chat were the only colors I saw that were not white. Somebody asked if you could ignore a specific channel. And there was no reply. I didn't know how, but I told him, you know, eventually you'll just ignore it visually because everything is white. And he didn't get it. And many of you out there might also not get it. But if everything is the same color 
and you're in a place that you're getting spammed information you don't want to see, your eyes will start to visually ignore it. And since everything is the same color, it will start to ignore everything that is that color. So general chat that's getting spammed by people talking about whatever poop they're talking about, help channel, a channel for your faction, spamming about, you know, PBP stuff, this is being attacked, this is being attacked. All of that is the same color. So eventually, you'll just start to ignore all the chat in all those channels. Now, granted, you might want to do that anyways, but that kind of detracts from the chat channel itself. If somebody has something to say that's important, or maybe, you know, somebody asks a question to help that you might want to answer, you would, you know, visually not be able to see it because your eyes aren't being called to the attention, you know, due to a color. One thing that strikes me as very odd is that there is voice acting for basically every NPC in the game. However, player characters never say a word. So you go to pick up a quest from somebody, you get this big long cutscene, and you're just standing there totally stoic, not ever saying anything. It boggles my mind why they don't have some generic sayings like, yes, hmm, I understand, count on me, and then intersperse those in the conversation. It just seems really weird that everybody on the planet talks except you. The world is a persistent world, which means there are spawn points for different critters, and the critters will you know, get killed and then they'll respawn. There are no events like other games are going to be using. It's just, you know, the creatures spawn somewhere, they have spawn points, you see them as you pass them the first time, you kill them, you come back later, and they're respawned. So the world is persistent, and it doesn't ever change. Mind you, there are a few quests that do trigger a few rare spawns. But again, you know, going back to my first point, somebody can mess with that spawn and, you know, accidentally kill something that you needed. So you have to wait for it to respawn or, you know, you have to go start the event over again. This also leads you to a feeling of nothing you do really, really matters. In the area I was in, there was sort of a zombie apocalypse. So it kind of made sense that the zombies were, you know, respawning and I would see zombies all the time. But as I went down the street and I killed this zombie pack and I killed this zombie pack and I killed this zombie pack and I come back, you know, five minutes later and they're all respawned again. It's like, well, I got to get into this and be like, ooh, I got to kill some more zombies. Or it's like, you know, I feel like, you know, why even bother killing them if they're just going to respawn? There was also one, I guess you could call it a personal quest instanced area. I don't know what triggered it. I wasn't really paying attention to, you know, my quest goals or why I was doing them. I was trying to just, you know, play in general and get a general feel for things. But it's like there were some lasers and, you know, I tripped over lasers and the whole place exploded. And then it just, you know, respawned me and I tried again and I tried again and I tried again. And I think it's like four times in I, I finally beat it. But it's like knowing that the place explodes and that resets and I get to try again. It's like, really, are we still doing this, you know, 12 years after the first MMOG? I would think by now we would figure out something different. In my sort of perfect ideal game, you know, you would have basically one chance at it with varying amounts of success. Maybe you set off all the bombs, you know, you meet the minimum requirement for success because you can still get to the goal or something. Whereas a higher level of success, you don't set off any bombs and, you know, you get through the instance without getting detected, etc., etc. Kind of like an achievement system. But I haven't seen anyone do that as far as I know. There was one online game I did play where it sort of had goals that were like extra goals, you know, kill this boss or do this extra thing, and it was sort of like that. But I would really like to see somebody, you know, take that leap to make it 
make a difference, basically. Going into an instance and being able to blow it and just replay it as many times as I want doesn't really seem all that terribly interesting to me. It's like, sure, you know, there's the challenge of beating it if it's a dungeon or a raid or whatever, but knowing you can just keep bashing your head against it as many times as you want doesn't really thrill me anymore. Even though all these things are negative, I have a few positive points I can talk about. The graphics did look really good. I was running in DX11, but I actually didn't have any DX11 effect turned on. It seems there is an option window that you have to set things individually, and I was set to the lowest possible settings, you know, on top of not having any DX11 stuff. I tried keeping it low and turning on a couple of the DX11 effects, and while my frame rate was still basically playable, I was probably running at about half the speed that I was running at before, so my laptop was not too happy about things, so I just went ahead and, you know, turned them back down. So in theory, you know, the game could look really, really good if you turned everything on and put stuff on high. The story did seem really interesting and well thought out, though since the quests are repeatable, I think overall, I think you can just repeat everything, you know, based on a timer. That replayability kind of works against the story, because you hear it once, awesome. You hear it a second time, you know, maybe you want to listen to it, maybe not, you know, it depends on how long it's been since you played. But you get to that third and fourth time you're repeating the same quest, you're just going to fast forward, you don't care. So like other recent launches, while the cutscene and the story they have built into the quest intro might be really cool and interesting the first time you see it, after that, it doesn't seem all that interesting. The modern world setting does seem really well designed, but the old school quest design system and repeatedly running through the same areas over and over due to a limitation of a very small quest log makes it seem kind of overly grindy. The skill system was indeed like a collectible card game deck building system, though the initial deck slash template system they had shown off in a video I saw didn't seem to exist from what I saw. If I wanted to build a paladin, which is sort of what I went for, I had no idea which skill trees I should take or how deep I should take them or, you know, what order. I just had to guess that I should take swords or hammer. I chose swords. And then take blood magic for, you know, some kind of healing. The skills that I looked at for sword and hammer had two sections and each section sort of had a mix of damage and sort of defensive abilities. One in sword had a, a minor health regeneration. So it was actually very difficult to tell which was specific to tanking per se in terms of, you know, lots of hit points and damage mitigation as opposed to one that is, you know, more DPS oriented. They seemed kind of a mix of both. And as, you know, each of them were individually a mix of both, it seemed like you had to kind of take both and then, you know, pick the skills that were more specific to the style you wanted at the time. As I said, each basic skill appeared to have two main categories, and each category had seven abilities, and half of those were active and half of those were passive. So if you wanted to take, as example, a whole bar full of sword abilities, you know, seven active and seven passive, you would have to take both trees the full depth. I don't think that could be all of the skills, though, because if you take two branches for each, you know, uh, specific weapon, I guess you could say, and there's three per K, 
category. There's melee, magic, and then just, you know, regular ranged weapons. That only calculates out to 126 base abilities, and there's supposedly 500 plus total skills. There were three sort of more expensive hybrid trees that were sort of different abilities, and I didn't take any of those, but that still wouldn't add up to all 500 skills. So there must be a bunch of layers that I didn't see in the skill tree. So I'm not sure how, you know, that works out. But I did see, you know, there was a lot of potential for a lot of depth in the skill system. So that was very cool to see. And by the end of my, you know, 16-ish to 18-ish hours play period, I was starting to look at maybe building into another type of, you know, set, as it were. So I can move away from, you know, the sword tanking style I had and maybe look at, you know, doing a damage build in case I wanted to swap out to that. But, you know, that got cut short, so I didn't really get very far in that. Overall, I would say there are a lot of positive things about it. However, since they did go with such an old school design in terms of the core game, I don't know that it's going to have a lot of hold in terms of interest from current day players. There didn't seem like a lot of content. So you add in what seems like not very much content with an old school style and people are going to be like, you know, I've already played this game. Skills did seem very deep and very cool and it was nice to see that there weren't, you know, player levels. There were gear levels. I think somebody mentioned there were eight total gear levels. So that seemed kind of you know, different. That's kind of hard to grasp and it's not something players are used to. I actually spent a few minutes trying to explain to somebody, you know, there is no respecking. This is how the skills work and this is why it's cool. It took them a little bit to grasp it, but I think I think they did get it after a few minutes. But I think you add that to the fact that it has a lot of old school elements that are just kind of they're just kind of old and getting tired in the genre. Add on the assumably $15 a month subscription fee, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest for it. It actually wouldn't surprise me at all if it had such a low population they had to reevaluate that subscription within three to six months. I just think there's too much different about it in terms of skill. Plus, you know, as I mentioned before, modern day games tend to not have a big draw in terms of audience. Then you've got, you know, a lot of old school systems that really shouldn't be in place anymore. So I think it's not going to have a huge draw. I will be taking a pass on it probably unless, you know, my friends say they're going to get really into it and pick it up, in which case, you know, I might consider it. But if I were to play, you know, any one game on my own right now, you know, with no friends to play with as an MMOG that I would play by myself, I think there are probably other options out there or that will be out there very soon that I would find more interesting. I think there are too many old school things holding back the secret world from being as cool as it could be. Will they change to make it cool? I don't know. Some things they can change, like they can get rid of the subscription fee. But other things, like not having random events occurring in the zones, that's a core engine level kind of thing. That's not something easy to add on. And I think if they haven't added it on already, they probably don't have any plans to add on something like that anytime soon. So they're going to be very rapidly competing with other games that do it. And people are going to go, you know, why should I play this old school style where this other game has this new school style? So I don't know. I guess time will tell if people enjoy it or not. 
And those are my rambly thoughts on it. So I have finished the first campaign of Magic the Gathering Duel of the Planeswalkers 2013 and I thought it would be kind of important to talk about a little bit. I finished it in under 10 hours and again I am a somewhat experienced Magic the Gathering player. I did play the physical collectible card game for a few years like two-ish so I am you know familiar with Magic overall. But being that it was only 10 hours to complete the main campaign, it was kind of surprising. I was kind of expecting there to be a bit more. And also, while you have a number of decks to choose from, because of the fact that you have, you know, that pack of cards, you tend to play, at least I tended to play, with only about two different decks. So even though I had over probably half a dozen decks to choose from, I found myself playing one deck probably 85% of the time and then the other decks I would only switch to if I knew that this one opponent had one particular strategy that I could exploit and my normal deck couldn't handle you know their strategy of that deck like in terms of you know fighting a denial deck my main deck was really not very good for that so I switched to the black deck and the black deck had a lot of you know, denial on its own in terms of the monsters that they could put out or taking over monsters. And it had a decent amount of direct damage. So it wasn't quite as dependent on having cards and then the cards have to go into play. Whereas, you know, my main deck is mostly creatures. There is a little tiny bit of denial. But if I don't get those creatures out or if the creatures get, you know, poofed away by something, I get screwed really fast with that deck. But if they get out, you know, they have a lot of life regeneration, they have a lot of things that give me life, and they have things that boost their own cards. So there's a lot of synergy if I can get the cards out. So it really rapidly became apparent to me as I neared the end of the game and completed it, that if you are like me, if you only have one or two really favorite decks, it's actually not all that replayable. Because since I had unlocked, you know, the extra cards for that deck really quickly, I was then pretty much using the same deck over and over and over and over, and so it really wasn't all that interesting. And since the other decks didn't really interest me in terms of, you know, I didn't like to play them very much, there really isn't a whole lot of incentive for me to play something I do not like just to unlock more cards that I probably will still not like. So I do still have the second campaign to go through, but I think most people will probably stop after the first campaign. The difficulty in the second campaign ramps up a lot. I got taken down with the first opponent in, I think, two or three rounds, which is really fast. I did read somewhere that the second campaign is supposed to be more like an AI that is similar to a human player, and I can believe it because it gets a lot harder than the first campaign. So while I am looking forward to playing it, it's not quite as replayable as something you know, that is a game that has, like, random elements or the opponent does something different each time. 
you're fighting specific opponents with specific strategies. So it's more of a puzzle. But again, you know, if you're like me and you tend to only use one or two different decks, it's not quite as fun as a puzzle as it might seem. Because you're like, well, I might switch in some of these elements from these other decks, but I don't want to use a whole entire deck based around a completely different strategy. Now, don't get me wrong. The game was a ton of fun. Still is a ton of fun. I look forward to what downloadable content comes along. I look forward to playing the second campaign. And in terms of how much it cost, if I took the base cost of $10 and I divided that out in, you know, the 10 hours I played, that's only $1 an hour. That is a much better deal than most games. You pay 60 bucks for the game, and then it only lasts, you know, 15 or 20 hours. That's about 3 bucks an hour, three fifty an hour, depending. That's a lot harder hit in terms of hitting your wallet than, you know, Magic the Gathering, Duel of the Planeswalkers 2013. So as I mentioned before, I would highly recommend it to anyone who is sort of, I guess you could say, Magic casual. You know, if you've heard of the game, it looked interesting, you might want to check it out. Because it is a fairly good introduction, it does do a good job of saying, you know, here is this challenge, can you beat it? And then, you know, you usually have enough decks unlocked that if your main deck doesn't do well against that opponent, you can pick a different deck. But again, as I said in the last section, I don't think it quite forces you to switch enough. So that is both good and bad. It is bad in that it means the person is going to use the same strategy over and over and over. But it's good in that, you know, they can use a deck they are more familiar with and they are happier playing instead of being forced to switch to something they aren't happy with or, you know, not as good with just to beat that one opponent. Like I said, I did switch a few times, but it was because, you know, I understood the strategy. I knew this deck would be a much better way to beat the opponent, much easier. And so, you know, that was fun to do. So again, closing thoughts. Um, you know, I thought it was a really good game. It was a lot of fun. I don't think it's quite as replayable as I would hoped it would have been. And it is a lot more like a puzzle than anything else. And so that's good. And if you're looking for a puzzle-type challenge, I would very much recommend it. If you're looking for something with a lot of replayability, this probably isn't the way to go. It's just a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. With your hands on your hips. You bring your knees in tight. And it's the velvet crust. It really does an insane. Let's do the time on the air. Let's do the time on the So as I mentioned in the last section, I have finished Magic the Gathering 2013 pretty much. You know, I'm on the second campaign, but my interest is a lot more diminished because the opponents are a lot more difficult, and so it seems like a much more challenging battle than the first time around. It's not that I'm not up for that challenge. It's just that I am much less interested than the first campaign. First campaign, I was like, yeah, 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 let's play. Now I'm like, well... I got some time to kill. Okay, I guess I'll play it. So I looked at Magic Online again some more, and the common theme in most modern videos, and by that I mean ones that are less than a year old, which there aren't that many of, most of them reviewed it 
a year ago or more. The videos tend to be really old. But the common themes are that you want to do this with the basic pack, and you want to do this with the planeswalkers, and you want to do this with your booster packs. And it all seems to be focused on pushing you towards getting ready for tournaments. Now, this is pretty much just speculation on my part, being an outsider of the community and not, you know, heavily researching it. But I got a very strong feeling that the community is really, really small and that the community is heavily focused on tournament play. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Under certain conditions, I might consider joining a community like that. But it seems like a very high level of commitment. And it seems like if this is what the people are doing, they're just, you know, focusing on tournament challenges, then that probably means that the, the players themselves within the community are a very tight-knit, very hardcore, very competitive group. Also, as someone who would be a newcomer to that community, I wonder if I would really be welcomed, you know, being that I don't have professional slash competitive knowledge, you know, as the new kid, as the person who is basically a low-level character in a max-level game. So again, speaking as an outsider, it seems like this is a community that has a very certain focus, and that because of that focus, because of that community, it's kind of pushed me away from considering the game. Now again, either way, I don't know if it would be something I would want to pick up because it is such a serious commitment, because there are, you know, so many cards and so many strategies and so many decks, and I have to play it online, you know, it's an online-only thing, so I would have to use up you know, my main online time, which, you know, I have a reasonable amount of. But it's like, would this be something I would want to put in that much commitment to? And I don't know. I think I'm much more of a casual magic player than that. I don't think I would quite go that heavily unless, you know, I had friends or other people already in it who I would get to play with, you know, on at least a semi-regular basis. I know I didn't specifically talk about it a whole lot in this section, but I think this just speaks to the fact that community is a really huge factor in some games. In a game like Magic Online, which is, you know, entirely social, there's players playing other people, there aren't, you know, AI opponents. There's assumably a non-tournament time where people are a little bit more casual, but it seems like the focus is specifically on tournament play, and so that sort of presents itself as, you know, the community is going to be thinking and feeling a certain way. And so that sort of alters my perception of what the game is. Because the game can be A, B, or C, but because the community is a certain way, that means it really is only going to be A. So community can be a big part of, you know, whether you want to join a game or not. In this case, I think I will pass and continue to wait for something that is a bit more casual, something maybe between Duel of the Planeswalkers and Magic Online. You know, something that allows me to build my own deck. Something that has, you know, maybe occasional tournaments. But something that isn't entirely for the serious 100% of the time. Because I don't think I would quite want to go all that way. As I mentioned before, you know, being 100% serious and 100% focused on, you know, maximizing your deck all the time, that's not really something I enjoy. I enjoy a style that's a bit more casual, a bit more friendly, a bit more like, oh, you beat me again, because, 
blah, blah, I really wish I could change that. And, you know, not really be stressed out over it. Instead of going, oh my god, he beat me because of this. Now I have to go buy this, this, and this card to counter this, this, and this, and buy this other thing, and this other thing, and blah, 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 blah. You know, that's not something I'm really into. I love the strategy. I love the creativity. I love seeing what different people do differently. But I don't think I quite want to do it at a competitive level. So, uh, awful lot of rambling about community. And just something to consider if you're going to be joining a game. Because I think it does connect in a way to pretty much all of my other rants about anything that's online. You know, like in the secret world, it's like, is that a community I want to join? The community isn't really going to interact with each other because it's just kind of like you don't really need to interact with other people. So they're just going to be talking poop in general. And it's like, do I want to, you know, play a game where there's a bunch of people poop talking all the time and they're not really interacting with each other? It's a game that's online. People are supposed to interact with each other. So, you know, the community is kind of counter to the game. And again, in that case, you know, it affects how I perceive the game itself because the game and the community in that case and in the case of Magic Online, they are intertwined. You know, they're they're a core part of each other. They need each other to exist. The game cannot exist without the community and the community wouldn't be there if the game wasn't there. So something to consider. Uh, maybe it's important to you. Maybe not. Up to you. So that's it for this Rabbit's Ramblings podcast. As mentioned in the last section, I have decided to pass on Magic Online, and I am kind of not necessarily losing interest in Duel of the Planeswalkers, but I certainly am not interested in it as much as I was. I will still play the second campaign, check that out, but it's a lot harder than the first one, so I might lose interest because I'm getting beaten down a lot, and repeatedly losing is just no fun for anybody. Also because it is kind of a linear progression, and I decided to pass on Magic Online, I did decide to go ahead and spend the extra unplanned money for Civilization V and the expansion Gods and Kings. So I will be checking that out soon. I have a deal with Amazon where I get it in two days, so it should have been here before I finished the podcast. But for some reason it's estimating like an extra four days to ship. I don't know why. So I won't have that to talk about until next time, if I do talk about it. It was a lot of money that I wasn't planning to spend, but I do have several months until the next game comes out, so I've got like this big window of like three or four months where I would basically have nothing to do. So I thought I would pick it up, and you know, I can play it offline at work. So that gives me, you know, a bunch of time I can spend playing a game you know, on my own at work and gives me something to do. I was kind of on the fence about it quite a bit because the last one just beat me silly. I was just no good at it at all. I could play smaller games against the AI on like the lowest possible setting, but if I turned it up at all, 
I would just get destroyed in a few turns. So that was always sad and depressing to me, and I eventually sold the game and wasn't very interested. I have been on the fence about this purchase quite a bit. Hopefully I won't regret it. I did watch a few videos. The new version is supposedly very user-friendly, so I should be able to learn the strategies you know, better and have more help because the game is targeted around helping players a bit more than the previous games. And I am really looking forward to trying to figure out how to, you know, do better and have my civilization be okay. I watched a video of somebody playing the game, and that was really kind of the turning point for me to decide, yeah, I kind of want to pick this up and try it again. Because he was on the first turn, he was dismissing the new advisors without even listening to them. He's like, no, go away, no, go away. It's like, dude, this is a brand new feature designed to help players figure out, you know, how to play. If you're doing a video for people who don't know how to play, you should let them listen to the advisor. But he was like, no, I know how to do better. I don't need to listen to the advisor. I'm just going to cancel them. And then he's like, the game starts out with you having one soldier unit and one settler unit. And it's usually a good idea to drop that settler down either immediately or within the next one turn, maybe two turns. Because if you don't start immediately building, the AI will do that and basically destroy you quickly because he's producing and you're not. But he ignored his advisors. He dropped his city down, you know, in the first turn, which is good. You know, you should do that. But then he proceeded by saying, I'm not going to make any warrior units. I'm not going to make any other settlers. I'm going to make a monument. And I just did a facepalm. It's like this guy does not know what he's talking about. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the strategies have changed. But from what I recall, the monument takes a really, really, really long time to build, especially if you do it on the first turn. And it's like it brought back all those old strategies I used to have of, you know, do I want to make a second army to have a standing army in the city and have the first army go out and scout for a second location to build a settlement? Or do I want to immediately build a settler and have them just go out and hope to find something? But it's like, yeah, you know, this guy probably didn't make the best choice and it just reminded me how fun it was to try and figure those things out you know do i want to build an army do i want to build a settler if they go over that hill are they going to find a spot really awesome to make another city or are they going to get trounced by another civilization who built the standing army and it's like surprise so it's like i was like yeah okay i'll go ahead and give it a shot and hopefully it'll work out for the best because i did have a lot of fun you know trying those things out and because the game is random each time, you know, unless you're playing a specific scenario, that random factor does make it very exciting and interesting each time. And you don't really know how things are going to work out in terms of, you know, did I get a good starting location? Am I doing, you know, the best with what's around me before you know, when I find other guys? And so that was always really interesting to me. Like I said, though, I didn't have the best of luck with 4. I would always just get beaten down by the AI. And so even though I knew the basic level strategies, I could never get past, you know, the fact that he would always beat me. Or if I did get to late game, somebody else would win because I didn't meet any of the conditions. So hopefully Civ 5 will be a better experience and I'll have a lot of fun. And, you know, like I said, worst case scenario, it is something I can play offline at work, you know, while I'm working. And it will, you know, keep me entertained. That's all I can really think of for this time. Hopefully everybody had a good time, and I will see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye.
you know, day and age, as it were. So it's really kind of disappointing that, you know, uh, uh, where you pay, you know, 60 bucks for a new game and it, you, me, 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 me. So now don't, oh, uh, sorry. I thought the question was directed at me. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at rabbitdotcom. It's rabbit.com, but with not a period. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space. And be sure to put the number one in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2012 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.